stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, good morning. Here we go. Welcome aboard along the Chorus Radio Network. Rob Breckenridge with you filling in for the next couple of weeks. And you might say, okay, Rob, well, uh, filling in for whom? It's a logical question. It's a good question. All I can say is uh, stay tuned. So I'll be your guest host for the next couple of weeks and looking forward to these conversations. So, look, we got a lot to get to on the program today. The numbers 403-974-8255 for our Calgary audience, 780-496-0063 for our Edmonton audience. And we've got a jam-packed show. We'll tell you more about it uh, along the way here. But I want to get uh, right to our next guest. And so there's been a lot of conversation over the last uh, couple of weeks here. In terms of this critical worker benefit that Alberta has now signed on to, it's a joint federal-provincial program uh, that the federal government puts up. I think it's uh, three-quarters of the money. The provinces kick in an additional quarter. And uh, there's some money available. Either as a wage top-up or kind of like a bonus Uh, to those who have been on the front lines in this pandemic. Now, typically, that that term often refers to those in healthcare, and obviously, healthcare workers are a part of this. But it's meant to go beyond that, right? Those uh, for whom their their jobs kind of put them in in maybe a a greater risk situation, like uh, workers in grocery stores, as an example. So as a way of kind of rewarding them for the fact that their jobs over the last year have taken on a very different kind of context or certainly presented some additional risk. But there are lines to be drawn here. There's only so much money available as a result of this program. And part of this process involves determining who qualifies and who doesn't. So the Alberta government has made those decisions Not everybody's happy, uh, I suppose, but joining us to talk a bit more about uh, this whole process and uh, the decisions made along the way. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Jason Copping, Alberta's Minister for Labor and Immigration. Minister Copping, appreciate you joining us here today. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much, and thanks for having me there, Rob. Great to be here. Yeah, and I I think it's important to to clarify all of this for folks and uh, let people know the government's approach on this and, and how this is all going to work. But let me ask the question, first of all, because uh, your government took some some flack for, uh, you know, getting to a decision on this. Other provinces got on board a lot more quickly with this program. Talk about uh, Alberta's thought process here and why it took a little bit longer for, for you guys to sign on. Well, this is, a, as you know, this program started in uh, during the first wave. Uh, we wanted to take a, a good uh long, hard look at how do we distribute these monies? Because as you mentioned in your opening, uh, lines need to be drawn. Uh, so when we took a look at this, um, we looked at all the work that people were, were doing uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, and then we also had, a, had you know, wanted to take our time. And we also took a look at, you know, particularly the second wave, which happened between October and January. And the second wave was much higher than the, than the first wave. So we determined that that's the, the period of time because under the federal program, you need to pick 16-week period, uh, so that's the 16-week period that we we chose, uh, and then it was on that basis, and that's why we you know we made some of the choices that we did. So healthcare, uh, as you mentioned in your earlier remarks, that we thought it was critically important to recognize healthcare workers uh, and those providing services in in congregate care. So particularly you know most vulnerable, those with disabilities, uh, you know our uh, long-term care facilities. So we included you know the um, 
uh, healthcare, social uh, services, and education, and that's on the what I call the public and the quasi-public side. But also, we recognized, as you indicated, that you know there's not a lot of workers, particularly those providing food and medicine, uh, and that stepped up to the plate. So we want to recognize this. But but as you as you noted, lines need to be drawn. Um, you know, we we called this the critical worker benefit because it's, it's not essential services workers. Because if you take a look at through the pandemic, uh, essential services that's represents well over 80% of the entire working population. And if we spread out the money, you know, it's a limited pot to all of that, it would have been meaningless. So we focused on these particular areas in the, in the second wave of the, uh, uh, of the, of the pandemic to recognize the tremendous work uh, that these individuals have done. And, uh, but, but we also want to say, you know, even those to some who do not receive the payment, we want to say thank you to all Albertans for continuing to work through this. But that's why we made a difference between what an essential service worker is, which was over 80% of the population, and this program, which focuses on critical workers and the benefit that it provides to them. Okay, so talk about the, the, the decision that was made over the last week, because there was some frustration that uh, the nonprofit sector was, was not a part of this. Uh, the decision was made to change that. Uh, can you walk us through that? Yeah, so, so that's actually not true at all. The nonprofit was always part of this. It's just the delivery mechanism was different. Okay. So, you know, so like we take a look at, particularly when you talk about community and social services and children's services, you know, a vast majority of the services that are provided through government are actually through the nonprofit sector. So they were always included in the program, um, and but the delivery mechanism is different. So for on the public or quasi-public side, and, and these are looking at um, departments such as health, uh, children's, uh, children's services, community and social services, education, all those funds will flow directly from those departments to these organizations, these not-for-profits. And let me give you a few examples. We have Woods Homes, Crossroads Residential Youth Care, Ben Calf Robe Society, Catholic Social Services, just to name a few. There are literally hundreds of, of not-for-profit organizations that are eligible, but it's flowing through the direct line department, so they don't have to apply. So when we, we put on the website that uh, on the private sector, so this is for grocery stores, uh, this is for people who are um, selling medicine, for example, uh, in pharmacies, uh, lo- lower wage workers. Um, we indicated that that was not for not-for-profit, but it wasn't because the program doesn't apply for not-for-profit, but that stream of delivery doesn't apply, and the not-for-profit will receive them through the, um, through the departments through which... Um, uh, that are primarily responsible for the delivery of these uh, of these services. So they were always in. There was no change, uh, and that's just generally how these departments deliver many of their services. Okay, because uh, some had read it that on the government website, the nonprofit sector workers were ineligible. But that was that yeah. a misreading, or was was that poorly worded? What was the issue there? The the issue is that wording applied to people uh, people in the private sector stream of this program. Right, okay. who were applying the grocery store workers? It didn't apply to the whole program, but people read that in that context, saying, "Well, Jesus applies to the whole program, so you know, why is that? That doesn't make any sense." And you're right, that doesn't make any sense. But that's that was uh, it was written in the context of uh, the private sector under that part of the website. But I could see how some people say we well, found that confusing, so we actually changed the wording on the website and put out a statement very quickly thereafter, saying, "No, no, no, they're 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 in. They've always been in." Uh, and they're being contacted directly by the line departments, uh, children's services, uh, community and social services, health and education. 
Okay, so uh, the government has posted, and it's up at alberta.ca. So there, there, there is uh, a detailed uh, list of criteria uh, for those who would qualify for this. I think there is some confusion still, and, and you alluded to, you know, situations where there's a need for an application where there isn't. So do individuals apply? Do employers apply? What do people need to know about how this is going to work? Yeah, so great question there, Rob. So employers, uh, we are delivering this through employers. So if you are in the public or quasi-public sector, right, under those those, those uh, areas that I talked about in terms of health, uh, education, um, children's social services, and, or sorry, community social services and children's services, your employer will be contacted directly, uh, and then they will fold Slowly uh, flow the funds through them. If you're in the private sector, so grocery store clerks, for example, or uh, uh, again, you know, working in a, in a pharmacy, uh, then your employer can apply through the uh, the portal. Uh, we've had already to date, because the portal went live on Wednesday, we've had uh, just over 2,000 applications that are currently being assessed, uh, and more coming in. And uh, and so the the individual employee doesn't need to apply. Now, there may be some uh, you know employees who are wondering whether. Um, they're eligible, so they can go to the website and look on the website, or they can uh, send an email if, they, if they're, they're curious about this at uh, cwb at gov.ab.ca just to, to ask uh, if they're eligible. Uh, if they don't think their employer is applying, they can talk to their employer. Uh, and then uh, if, if they think they're eligible after they've asked the question and their employer hasn't applied, then they can talk to that office, and then we will get the information directly to the employer. Uh, but we've uh, we've seen some good uptake on our uh, on our website, and we expect more in the coming weeks. Let me give you a chance to, to address this as well. And what what seems to some like some arbitrary criteria that couriers, for example, uh, some couriers are eligible. Uh, those who drive trucks, but not those who drive bikes. Uh, delivery drivers, those who deliver food, I, I think are, are eligible. But people who deliver other things, maybe not. So, could you address that? Yeah, so, so again, you know, it goes back to drawing lines, and, it, and it's unfortunate um, that we need to draw lines because we recognize the tremendous work that all essential services workers have done throughout the pandemic, but there's only a limited uh, amount of funds. Uh, so we drew the lines on looking at primarily healthcare workers, um, and, and even then, even though the, the program is was designed, the federal criteria was primarily for, uh, for lower wages, uh, given the tremendous work that's done by our nurses, for example, and uh, uh, our, our healthcare, a number of our healthcare professionals, we followed um, uh, the pattern set by a couple of other provinces to include our nurses and healthcare workers because of the tremendous efforts they did during the second wave. But when we add more people, then we have to draw lines elsewhere. Uh, and so when we talk about the uh, private sector, we felt it was important to recognize those who were involved in the delivery of groceries and, and, and medicine. Uh, and so we we included a private sector um, section of this program, but not other provinces did. Some just focused solely on public sector, uh, and others focused more on private sector. But we wanted to do both. But we do recognize that when you draw a line, there will be people on one side of it and people on the other side of it. And it's not that we're not thankful for all the work that all Albertans who continue to work this pandemic have done, uh, but we felt it was it was uh, reasonable, and that the most Albertans, and, and I've heard from Albertans who, even though they're not eligible for it. You know, they think that government has, has largely got this right in terms of we need to recognize our, uh, our health care professionals. We need to recognize those who are supporting uh, vulnerable Albertans and congregate care and recognizing grocery store workers and those uh, in the, uh, in the um, supply chains for, uh, for medicine uh, is important. Uh, but 
but you know, for others who are, are not eligible for it, we still say thank you so much for your for your hard work. Um, but this is, you know, we, we need to recognize those critical workers who are doing uh, work in these sectors. Well, it's called the Critical Worker Benefit. Uh, more details, as mentioned, alberta.ca. Minister Copping, appreciate you joining us here today. Thanks for this. Thanks so much, sir, Rob. Have a great day. All right, you as well. That is Jason Copping. He is Alberta's uh, Labor Minister. So some explanation on some of the decisions they made with regard to who's eligible, who isn't for this critical worker benefit. And yeah, look, you're not going to please everybody. And some of it is going to seem arbitrary. Lines got to be drawn somewhere. And and I think the government was going to be criticized regardless. Does it all make sense? Is it all totally logical? I mean, look, I, I think you can make some valid criticisms of this approach here. But even if you did it a little bit differently, I think you'd still run into some of those issues. All right. Let's take a quick time out here. We're going to come back. We'll set up the rest of the show for you here today. And, and again, we'll talk a bit more, not just about today's show, but uh, how things are going to unfold over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so again, uh, I'll be filling in here for the next two weeks and then handing it off to, well, uh, to others. We shall see. Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network. All right, welcome back. As we get things going on a Monday morning here, Rob Breckenridge with you for today, for the next two weeks. So this is kind of a bridge period, I guess. I know a lot of folks curious here Monday morning, uh, given Friday and uh, the host's uh, last day hanging up uh, the headset and uh, Danielle moving on to two other things. So what next? Uh, To be honest, I don't know. So what I can tell you is uh, I'm here for the next two weeks. And then all I can say is after that, stay tuned. Okay, so that's the situation. Uh, as it stands here today, as it stands here for the next couple of weeks. And uh, after two weeks, uh, I've got my show. I'm going to go back to that. And uh, you may be hearing some other voices uh, in in this time slot. We shall see. Uh, So that's probably as much as I can tell you. And honestly, I don't know a whole lot more than that, in case you're you're thinking I'm, I'm holding back on you. So we've got a lot to talk about on the program here today, though. We will get to some of the news from the weekend, and I know this has become a big issue uh, with regard to, is this a question of religious freedom? Is this a case of you know having meaningful public health measures in place to deal with a pandemic? Certainly a clash between the two, as uh, we saw over the weekend. Uh, Grace Life Church, just west of Edmonton, once again throw open their doors yesterday, hundreds packing in for Sunday service pastor of that church, the Remand Center, uh, for openly defying injunctions on this matter. Of course, we saw protests uh, on Saturday, uh, folks marching to the Remand Center, demanding his release. So we'll talk about all of that, and, and in the context of, well, what, what is a reasonable step right now? I think the Alberta government has tried to find a balance here in saying to religious organizations, churches, mosques, etc., uh, that you can still have some in-person service, but it's got to be limited. You know, it's got to be some health measures in place. You know, and instead of having one or two church services on a Sunday, you want to spread it out and have a whole bunch. I think there are ways to get creative that don't involve defying public health measures. And I think a lot of this is, is political, but some pretty strong feelings on all sides of this. So we'll talk about that on the program uh, here this morning. Uh, coming up later on today, uh, the federal government is uh, making some changes with regards to official bilingualism, and that's often a sore spot out here in Alberta. Look, I get the country is a bilingual country. There are some government jobs that are just, by their essence, going to be bilingual. 
What about the Supreme Court of Canada? It's one thing if the government of the day wants to give preference to a bilingual judge over somebody else, but should it be a statutory requirement that Supreme Court justices be bilingual? That would leave a lot of pretty accomplished people off the bench. You know, documents can be translated. Testimony can be translated. Ideally, you want the best legal minds on the Supreme Court. So what is the the danger of watering down that criteria and making bilingualism more important than anything else? I'm going to talk about that coming up later on this morning. Also, question of single event sports betting. It is still in Canada illegal to bet on a sporting event, a single event. You can do the sports select parlay where you got to bet on multiple events. But, you know, slapping down some money on the Super Bowl or the Great Cop or whatever it is, is still illegal. Pretty easy to do online. But the criminal code still recognizes it as a crime. There are actually two bills at the moment. One is a government bill. The other is a private member's bill from a conservative that would legalize single event sports betting. And it, it seems like things are finally changing. And I think probably this time, We're going to see that change made, but we'll talk about that coming up later on today with the Canadian Gaming Association. And coming up after 10 o'clock, and this is, uh, I think, going to be a fascinating story. 1983. Who remembers 1983? Um, I, I vaguely do, but there were actually two instances that year uh, that the world came very close to nuclear war, essentially uh, Armageddon. Now, one of those, and much has been written about this, and the Soviet scientist who who ended up as the hero of the story, it was a computer malfunction, but it appeared as though there were NATO missiles incoming. Now, this individual recognized that this can't be right, and so reacted very calmly, thus averting a Soviet retaliation to the missiles that were never there in the first place. There was also an incident in the fall of 1983. Uh, There was a NATO military exercise called Able Archer. Now, military exercises uh, during the Cold War were very common on both sides. But for some reason, the Soviets became convinced that this was not an exercise, that this was an actual invasion. And they were prepared to respond. And there's some new documents out last week that show just how close the Soviets actually were to responding. They were loading nuclear uh, missiles on, onto airplanes. They were ready to go. And so, yeah, it's, it's weird to think just how close we came at the time to the Cold War becoming very hot and very nuclear. So we're going to talk about that coming up after 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, also on the program today, we'll talk about the uh, new travel restrictions that come into place as of today. Now, whether you're returning by air, returning by land, things are going to be different. The rules aren't the same, of course, for land crossing and uh, those returning by air. And, uh, you know, it's been some interesting stories over the last couple of days about some of the uh, hassles involved for returning travelers, difficulty in booking these hotels that they're supposed to book, and a lot of uncertainty over what exactly this is going to cost. Initially, it was $2,000, and then it turned out, well, maybe it's not $2,000. Was the government just rounding it up to $2,000? So a lot of questions on that front, so we'll talk about that. Like I said, we'll have some time for your phone calls in Calgary. You can reach us, 403-974-8255 in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. 
So when we come back after 10 o'clock, Cold War historian uh, Tom Nichols is going to join us. So we'll talk about this Abel Archer exercise in 1983 and the new documents that have just come to light here in 2021 uh, that showed just how close the world came to World War III back in 1983. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up just after 10 o'clock. Well, some time for your phone calls, as mentioned. I want to get back to the news from the weekend. We'll talk about the situation with uh, Grace Life Church near Edmonton. Uh, you had a church in Calgary, I guess, in solidarity, kind of do the same thing. Uh, open up their church, full capacity, uh, no masks, that, that, whole, that whole approach. You know, the thing to keep in mind, folks, and it was a little unnerving yesterday, word that Alberta's R value might have crept back up above one. And we're in a precarious situation at the moment. We've eased some restrictions. I think we've been trending in the right direction. But it's not guaranteed that we're going to continue to trend in that direction. And with fitness centers and other businesses waiting with fingers crossed that things will continue to improve, and we'll be able to ease even more restrictions. This kind of an approach seems really counterproductive. Do we really want to have to take a step backward? I get that people are frustrated, people are impatient, people are kind of done with all of this. But if we're not smart, we're going to go backward. So we'll get back to that coming up uh, in our next hour as well. 403-974-8255-780-496-0063. Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.